And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome, welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, we'll see that Christ will rapture the church before the seven years tribulation. We'll also find that the timing of the rapture is imminent, which means any time now. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. The ultimate vindication of Christ, the ultimate vindication of Christ's church will be a part of that. So the first thing that could be expected was vindication. The second thing that the ancient Philadelphians could expect was evacuation. Evacuation, I see this in verse 10, a very important verse in prophecy. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This verse clearly teaches that the timing of the rapture of the church will precede the starting of the seven years of tribulation. That is a pre-tribulational rapture doctrine. Why do I say that? Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from. The Greek here is ektes. If the Spirit of God meant to say that God would keep believers in the church through the tribulation, it would have been the preposition dia. It is not dia. It is ektes. The promise is to the church of Jesus Christ, to you and me, that we will be kept from the future seven years of tribulation. When I had final exams in high school, I don't know if they do that here in the United States high schools, but you could, if you got an honor roll kind of a grade average for a course in high school, you could be exempted from the final exam. That was always my goal. I was always wanting to go golfing once it got warm and not be studying for exams. And so what that was, was a, a keeping from, an ectase, not being a part of the final exam week when I had high enough grades. It wasn't a dia. I wasn't being kept through my final exams. This is saying to the church at Philadelphia and by extension to us, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So we believe as a church that the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, that every single born-again Christian will be airlifted instantaneously, caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We believe that rapture event will be before the tribulation judgments begin on earth. Now, let's see a little bit more in verse 10, shall we? Keep you from, we've talked about that, the hour is referenced. This is a set time period. The hour means a set period of time. We know from other scriptures, Daniel and other places in Revelation, that this set period of time or this hour is seven years, seven literal years. It's called an hour of testing. And essentially the testing during this hour future of seven years of tribulation is who will you align with? Will you align with a visibly prominent antichrist or will you choose to align with the true Jesus? You see, there'll be people left on earth 
All the believers will be raptured, but people will come to saving faith in Christ during the seven years, and they'll be faced with the question, where is my loyalty, to a visible antichrist or to Jesus? It's an hour of testing, but there's more. It says that it is about to come. That is, it is future. People who say we live in the tribulation now are not right. It's future after the rapture return of Christ. It's upon the whole world. It's a global event. It's to test those who dwell upon the earth. The test of spirituality is not for animals, it's for humans. All the global population of earth during the seven years are being tested, antichrist or Christ. And Jesus said to Philadelphia in verse 11, let me read it. I am coming quickly, hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus was saying, I am coming suddenly. I am coming when you don't expect it. I am coming quickly. The idea here is imminency, that Jesus Christ is coming to rapture the church at any time now. I know of no prophetic prediction of scripture, church family, that is yet to be fulfilled before Jesus can rapture us. His return is imminent any time now. But there's more. He says in verse 11, hold fast. He was telling the ancient Philadelphians and the readers of the letter to them all these centuries later to occupy and to do business until he comes. The parable of Jesus with the 10 minas in Luke 19, you may want to look that up this afternoon, Luke 19. He told the people he gave the minas to in the parable, do business with them until I come. One guy put it in a handkerchief and he got no reward. One guy invested it and got 100% return on the, on the mina and Jesus commended him. We are waiting for the rapture return of Christ at any time, but we better not be folding our hands and counting clouds. We've got work to do. We're to do business, his business, until he comes. Idleness and laziness was addressed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Basically, Jesus said to the church of Thessalonica, if someone is lazy and doesn't work, don't let him eat. And so we have vindication. We have evacuation, a pre-tribulational rapture. Let me just, before I move off of the pre-tribulational rapture, I know that maybe not everybody in the room agrees with the pre-trib rapture. But let me say this, how is it then, if you don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, how is it that the last mention of the church in the book of Revelation is here in chapter 3, verse 22, and then the church does not show up again until Revelation chapters 19, verse 7? So chapters 4 through 18 of Revelation makes no reference to the church. The chapters dealing with tribulation make no reference to the church. You know why there's no reference? Because the church isn't here for the tribulation. Also, if the church, if we were to go through the tribulation, that would be absorbing the wrath of God for sin. And Jesus has absorbed all the wrath that we each deserve, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God has not destined us, that is the church, for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the legal system in the United States, there's something called double jeopardy. You can't be tried twice on the same crime, punished twice for the same crime. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, Jesus washed it white as snow. 
He absorbed all the wrath that I deserve for the sins of my life. I will not have to absorb any wrath during the tribulation. And if you're saved, neither will any of you. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to continue talking about what it is and the cost of following Jesus. Last time, if you remember, we talked about how there were great crowds following after Jesus. And instead of Jesus saying what the crowd wanted to hear, and even as you consider in our churches today, a lot of times the pastor may say what the congregation wants to hear. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to make you think. I'm going to, you know, challenge the way that you consider the relationship that you have with me. And he says this in verse 20. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come out to me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost? to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. And we left off right there last week as we considered talking about the cost. And in case you didn't get it the first time, Jesus continues on and talks about the cost of following him. And verse 31 says, Or what king go into war against another king, will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is far, still far off, he sent a delegation and acts for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. You see, Jesus shows an illustration that we can all imagine as we think of a war. And as you think of one king having 10,000 and another king having 20,000, double the men. And here it is, we come against each other, more than likely the 20,000 people are going to beat the 10,000 people. You see, we need to understand that Jesus is making it very clear that we have to count this cost and say, am I ready to follow Christ? Am I ready to give him everything that I have and everything that I am? You see, verse 32, it makes it very clear that if we find ourselves in this position as a, as a king of one place, we want to try and make peace with that, 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 the other country because we recognize that we don't have a chance. And I know that stories we can think of at Gideon, and, and, and we know that even with David, as Jesus was on this, God was on their side, and they defeated him, and praise the Lord. And we know that if God's on our side, we can do whatever. But as we think about life today, we got to be real and look at those Things And we know that they were God things. And we know these men pursued God. And God is basically saying, look, you've got to think about the whole picture. Because in reality, 20,000 men were going to beat 10,000 men almost every single time. You see, verse 33 says, In the same way, therefore, if every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. You see, Jesus wants to make it very clear that we recognize that we are giving him every single thing of us. We are giving God everything. We are saying, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm willing to do. I'm going to follow you no matter what. You see, I think so many times in our lives, we think that we can, we can do this on our own. We think that, you know what? I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. 
And I, we think that's enough. We think that's a, is we do it more of a duty and an obligation more than we really want to pursue Christ and give him everything. You see, this passage makes it very clear that we need to renounce everything that is in Christ. We need to make sure that he is not just Lord of part of our life, but he's Lord of all of our life. We are saying, whatever it is, you are Lord, you are in control, you are over me. Whatever you want me to do, do with my life. Use me. Bring honor to you, whatever it is. You see, when we have this picture of God and we recognize that he is sovereign, he's in control of all things, we pursue life differently. We look at things around us differently because we recognize that everything in life brings honor and glory to God. It comes back to him. And we have a hope that we can't explain sometimes because we know that Christ is supreme and he has a purpose. You see, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about discipleship and what that looks like and how we need to recognize that as we follow Christ, we are to give him everything. So I want to challenge you as you can, as you listen to the broadcast, I want to ask you, what is it that you're holding on to? What is that thing that you say, you know what, I don't know if I can give this over to God. I've made these mistakes in my life and, and, and I'm paying the price. And yes, there are consequences of sin. But we need to recognize that we worship a forgiven God. A God that paid the price for every sin, past, present, and future. You see, we need to recognize that He sent His Son that paid this price, that we can never pay Him back. But He is asking us to give Him our lives, to use for His honor and His glory. What more could we do? What more could we ask? I think too many times we think that we're doing God a favor, but no, no, no. He has done us the favor by us being a part of his family because we worship a good father, a father that is always there for us. When we even can consider if our earthly father has hurt us in the past. And I know this is why some people have a problem to look at God as a father, but we need to recognize that he is different than any father that we have on this earth. He's a God that cares for us. He's a God that loves us. He's a God that wants to be there for us. So I challenge you this morning to really examine your heart and say, God, I want to give this to you. And I want you to use me to bring honor and glory to you and you alone. And whatever it is you have called me to, I am willing to do. Wherever you call me to go, I'm willing to go. And I just want to be used by you. And I think if we do that, if all of us did that, we would live, we would have a better country that we lived in because we would all be pursuing the God of this world, the God that wants what's best for us, the God that loves us. And now today's personal God story. Recently, Pastor Rob had the opportunity to have the youth director from the Bahamas God Parent Center, Audra Darville, in the studio to share her personal God story. We now resume from where we left off last week. I think in my personal experience that uh, what really worked for me was the fact that so many believers came alongside me. Um, they took me into their homes. Um, they loved on me. Um, they saw past my sin and into my heart. Mm -hmm. 
and they had the opportunity to speak into my life in ways that they wouldn't have if they didn't take that time to see me. Yes. Um, they earned a hearing. They did, which then will affect Meyer's life because then I can share that with Meyer one day. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Um, as you were talking about things, I thought of Second uh, uh, Corinthians 1, verses 3 and following. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, watch it, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So um, most people who are responsible to cook meals in their homes love leftovers <laughs> because it means you get a good nutritious meal uh, or, or more than one when you have leftovers and you don't <laughs> yeah. have to prepare a new meal. You can have the good leftovers. God says that there are always leftovers when it comes to his comfort mm. uh, for us. And we are to give that leftover comfort to others who need it. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that's been something you've devoted yourself to in light of uh, your own personal life experience of mm -hmm. God's grace and, and goodness. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, how would you say the Lord is using your forgiven past to minister to others now? Yeah. Well, like you said, um, I'm the youth education director at the Bahamas Godparent Center. Um, we're a crisis pregnancy center. So um, we love on people. We show them a new way of living and making decisions. Um, we do that for men and women that have and are facing the consequences of their sexual choices. Um, whether that be that they're pregnant, whether that they've had an abortion, those types of things. So we work with those um, women and men. We try to show them God's forgiveness, God's grace, um, how God wants us to live, um, what standards he holds us to. Yes. Um, so that they can choose a different way of living, so that they can do better. They can fall in love with the Lord. They can um, be testimonies for the Lord. Um, I personally... I am um, really involved in a in the sexual risk avoidance program that we have. So we go into youth groups, we go into churches, we go into um, schools, and we talk to young people about how we choose a different way um, in terms of our sexual choices. Mm -hmm. um, the world says that it is okay to do what you want. You mm -hmm. can, if it feels good, do it. Yes. Um, and that's not the way that the Lord has asked us to live. He's asked us to put our bodies under subjection. And so um, from my personal life, I can talk to young people about, hey, it's it's better to do it God's way. Yes. Um, there is forgiveness and there's freedom when you come back to the Lord if you've made those mistakes. But do try and do it right the first time. Yes. Um, and so that's that's what I do um, now with what I've experienced. Appreciate that. Um, and I'm sure God has given you many a platform to do that upon and your own um, transparency and honesty and humility uh, would carry that 
in a very strong way. Um, as you were talking about uh, what you just were sharing, I was thinking too about how God's principles in his word, Old and New Testament, are, I picture them like fences around a big, beautiful pasture for a horse. Mm -hmm. And the horse has freedom to run and exercise and enjoy the sun and the cool, crisp air within those fences. Mm -hmm. And there's no real danger for the horse in that mm -hmm. pasture of safety food to eat, a place to exercise, lie down, a rest. But uh, if the horse jumps the fence and it's near a roadway, a busy roadway, there's a lot of danger mm -hmm. that the horse can be injured or even killed. Mm -hmm. And I see the commandments of God like those fences. They aren't put up by a God who kills our joy, mm -hmm. but they're put up by a God who protects our joy mm -hmm. and wants to give us full joy yeah. in his will. So... The, as you were sharing, I was thinking a bit about that. Um, there are probably some listeners out in Radio Land this morning who feel profound regrets. They have made various choices that they later came to see were not honoring to God, not helpful to other people, and nor helpful to themselves. And they have these regrets. It's, they're, they're, it's like a, a soundtrack in their head um, that these things pop up like weeds in the garden, these regrets, you know, um, I wish I hadn't done that or said that or what have you. So we're assuming there are going to be some precious listeners who are that way with these profound regrets. What would you say to them? I would say that, first off, God is good. Um, he is a good God that is ready and waiting with his arms open to embrace you. Um, I would say that those soundtracks in your mind um, that are showing you guilt and shame are not from God. Condemnation does not come from him. And so Satan would have you live in that place of, oh, I wish I didn't do that. I wish that my life was different and whatever else. And I've had those moments. Um, but the Lord has turned those moments and he's renewed my mind. And so I see those things as scars that I can share his his goodness, his healing. Um, and so I would say, go to God. I would say, turn to him, embrace his love, embrace his forgiveness, embrace what he has to offer because life is so much sweeter when, yes. when you do that. That's all the time we have for today. We'll pick up from here next time, Lord willing. For more information about the Bahamas Godparent Center, you can contact them by phone at 698-4306. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. 
Here's a question from Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, which reads, Jesus' words, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And so the question based on Matthew 25, verse 41 is this, Do wicked unbelievers experience everlasting torment in a fiery hell, or are they annihilated and merely pass out of existence? Answer, Traditionally, Christians have held to the view that those who have rejected Christ suffer the pains of an everlasting fiery hell. But there have arisen some among the evangelical Christians who argue that these traditional views are found on only on early Greek philosophy and that the Bible texts are capable of a differing interpretation. Well, let's say this. There are two texts of Scripture that suggest that hell involves everlasting punishment. Let me say there's more than two, but let's just focus on two. Matthew 25, verse 46, sums up the judgment on the sheep and the goats with the words, quote, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. End of quote. The same word in the Greek for eternal is used to describe the punishment of the wicked and also the blessing of the righteous. Whatever we say about the duration of eternal life for believers must also be said about the eternal punishment for unbelievers. Since life for believers is everlasting, John 10 verse 28, so must be the punishment for unbelievers. In a second Bible text, Revelation 20, verse 10, John describes those in the lake of fire being, quote, tormented day and night forever and ever, end of quote. The expression day and night is used in Revelation to express the concept of forever. It's that simple. The lake of fire is described in Revelation 19 and verse 20 as a place that, quote, burns with brimstone, end quote. The saddest verse in the Bible has John declaring that anyone whose name is not written in the book of life is, quote, thrown into the lake of fire, end of quote. That's Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. The doctrine of eternal punishment for those who have rejected Christ appears to be thoroughly, completely, accurately biblical. It's what the Bible teaches. This is not an easy teaching or one that brings us any joy, but the unpleasantness of a doctrine should not cause us to deny biblical truth. Teaching on eternal damnation may serve as a motivation for evangelism and an encouragement toward repentance and belief. I pray that it will affect that indeed. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio 
at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.